We have to start by admiring my jewellery. Does anybody know what it might be? Part of an asteroid, part of a meteorite, one that fell in Canada, in Alberta, about 1,100 years ago, known as the White Court incident. And it was one that's largely made of iron, so you can find it with a metal detector. Interestingly, if one of these things lands in Canada, although it comes from outer space, the Canadians claim it as Canadian. And in order to bring this back to England, I needed an export license. So, what we're actually going to talk about this evening is impact by a big asteroid. There's tons of stuff lands on the Earth each day, about 100 tons. Most of it's fine dust and tiny, tiny particles. But what we're going to be mainly concerned with this evening is bigger stuff. And the bigger stuff is very probably originally an asteroid. Uh, there are millions of asteroids. They're the bits that are left over from the formation of the planets, uh, probably because Jupiter's gravity prevented a planet forming. Suzanne's talked to you about how planets formed, uh, but sometimes they weren't allowed to form. We find the asteroids in a belt between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter. This uh, cheerful cartoon is a cut-down version of the solar system. We've got the Sun. We do not have Mercury and Venus showing. We have the Earth, we have Mars, we have the asteroid belt, and we have Jupiter. And we don't have any of the planets out beyond Jupiter either. And the asteroid belt uh, is not quite as well defined as I've shown it here, but there are millions of objects there just going round and round. Occasionally, however, one bangs into another, as is believed to be the case with the Siberian one that I'll talk about in a moment, or sometimes a passing star with its gravity makes an asteroid change its orbit. And instead of going round and round within this belt, it maybe takes up this red track where it comes in, crosses the orbit of Mars, crosses the Earth's orbit, goes back out across the Earth's orbit, back across Mars, out, and maybe round a number of times. And the Chelyabinsk, the Siberian one, had an orbit like this. Now, just because two orbits cross doesn't mean there's a collision. Uh, when I was small, my brother and I shared a model railway and it included a crossover. And sometimes when we got bored, we tried to engineer a crash. But you know, to make two trains crash, they have to get to the crossover at the same time. For an impact here, the Earth and the asteroid have to be there at the same time, or there at the same time. For an impact with Mars, they have to be there at the same time, and so on. So just because they've got an orbit that crosses the Earth doesn't automatically mean that there'll be an impact. Small asteroids burn up in the Earth's atmosphere and they give a wonderful fireball like this. They often also break up and people near the front will be able to see that there are some blobs 
because this has already begun to break up. And maybe nothing from that will land on Earth. Maybe it will all burn up. Or maybe something the size of your fist will land on the Earth. And it could go through the roof of your car, which is not good for the car. Or it could go through the roof of your house, which is not good for the house. But it's not going to kill hundreds of people or wipe out life on Earth. These are a couple of images of the one that came in over Siberia in the middle of February. Uh, this bottom one isn't such a good photo, but I've included it because you can see it's beginning to break up into bits. Turns out that this asteroid had had a collision with another one and so was already quite stressed at the point it came into the Earth's atmosphere. As it comes into the atmosphere, it gets very hot and it starts burning which releases gas, and the gas can make the thing explode. And that's what happened in this case. There was a good big explosion, 20 or 30 kilometers up above the Earth's surface. It was very, very bright, brighter than sunlight. And people in Chelyabinsk rushed to their windows to see what was happening. And of course, the sonic boom comes later, about two minutes later. So they're all standing at their windows looking out when this boom comes along, blasts the window, the glass breaks and they get cuts all over their face. So that's how most of the injuries happened from the sonic boom breaking windows. So if you see a bright flash in the sky, don't stand at a window. You'll be fine if you go outside. Well, reasonably fine. But don't stand at a window because the window could break. We know of a number of things that have hit the Earth through the past. Uh, this is Meteor Crater or Barringer Crater in Arizona in the USA. Uh, it's about a mile across this crater and you can maybe see a road tracking off in the distance to help you get the scale. This was probably created by an object about 50 meters across, three or four times the size of the thing over Siberia. And tough if you were living down here, because it would be curtains for you. But it's not going to cause earth-threatening damage. It is going to cause local damage, that's for sure. They reckon there's an impact of one of these about every thousand years, which leaves me wondering why we haven't got more craters like this and why we haven't seen more. The really troublesome things are even bigger. This is a map of Central America. Here's the tip of Florida. Here's a bit of Cuba. And this is Mexico. And they've found a crater that's partly on the land in Mexico and partly under the sea. And it dates from about 65 million years ago. And it's probably what caused the extinction of the dinosaurs and lots of other things. Basically what happens when something big, and this was probably a kilometre in size, when something big hits the earth, it kicks up a lot of dust. The dust goes up into the atmosphere, cuts out the sunlight, and because the sunlight's cut out, gets colder, crops don't grow, people starve. These ones are serious. They're reckoned to come along once every 50 or 100 million years. 
And the last one was 65 million years ago, so we're about due for another one. And we know of one or two things rattling around that could be the next one. And I'll explain what we're going to do about them. That one's called the Chicxulub Crater. We now have a lot more computing power than we used to have. And as a consequence, one of the things we can do is take a picture of the sky. Ten minutes later, take another picture of the same bit of sky. Ten minutes later, take another picture of that bit of sky and go on doing that all night and every night. And you end up with lots and lots of pictures of the same bit of sky. And most of it's boring. But if there's something that flares, you'll pick it up. And if there's something that moves, you'll pick it up because it'll be in a different part of the frame each time. And what we're looking for here are things that move. So there's now quite an array of telescopes around the world looking for these things. These are just a few of them. And as a result of that, we are able to identify and monitor potential hazards. There's a program now being operated to monitor for near-Earth objects. They look for things bigger than 200 metres. Now, that's bigger than what caused the Barringer Crater in Arizona. It's bigger than the Siberia thing, but it's about a fifth the size of what extinguished the dinosaurs. So, given that we can't track everything, that's probably a fairly sensible limit. And it's tracking things that come within four and a half million miles of the Earth. That's about 20 times the moon's distance. And the idea is you monitor these things and you get their position better and better. Once you've got their orbit better and better, if they turn out to be going further away than this, you drop them from the list because they're not a worry. But you keep an eye on the things that are coming closer. And there's one due in 2015 that's a kilometre in size. It's been round once already. Um, it's currently quite far out, but it is coming back. And they're tracking it. But one thing to track it, can we do anything? We can. There are now several things we can do. Um, the simplest is to send up a satellite with a large can of paint or a large bag of chalk and paint the asteroid white. A variant on that is to wrap it in kitchen foil, something shiny. Either way, the sunlight bounces better off that asteroid. And the sunlight bouncing off the asteroid pushes it sideways slightly. So if that's the sun and you're the Earth, and I'm an asteroid, Rawr! only there's no sound in space. So if I'm nice and white, um, not red and black, um, but if I'm nice and white, the sunlight bouncing off me pushes me this way a bit. So as well as coming towards you, I'm getting pushed sideways. And I miss the Earth. And that's probably the simplest and the cheapest thing to do. An alternative is to send up a rocket with a nuclear warhead. You don't send it at the asteroid because you don't want to break the asteroid into a million pieces. That's not a good idea. 
You send it up and you explode it beside the asteroid and the explosion heats the near side of the asteroid, vaporizes it, and this vapor coming off is a bit like a jet, moves the asteroid sideways. And the third thing you can do is send up a satellite to hover nearby the asteroid and there's a very small but persistent gravitational attraction towards the satellite and so the asteroid moves this way. This one could have other uses as well. These asteroids contain useful minerals and if we continue depleting the earth at the rate we're going we'll need to mine <coughs> asteroids as well. So that one is an important one. So we need to take this threat seriously. We are looking out for them. There's a world programme to monitor these things. We should get several years warning and given several years warning, international cooperation and quite a bit of money, there's ways we can divert them. So it should be okay. So you can sleep easy tonight. Thank you. <laughs>